You're listening to Her Hacks Podcast, a podcast by women in cybersecurity for everyone. I'm Christine. And I'm Rebecca. And today we have Tanisha Martin, the founder of Black Girls Hack with us. Hi, Tanisha. Hi, I'm excited. So Tanisha Martin, as I said, is the founder and executive director of Black Girls Hack, a BGH foundation, a national cybersecurity nonprofit organization dedicated to providing education and resources to underserved communities and increasing diversity in cyber. I noticed that you recognize that there are other organizations already catering to women and minorities in cybersecurity, like WESIS, but you're acknowledging that Black women are severely underrepresented in the job force, and you're not only spreading awareness of this issue or challenge, but you're providing upskilling and reskilling with hands-on ethical hacking workshops and training programs. Absolutely. I, I think for us, you know, we see that there's other people who are operating in this space, but I, I think that when we look at the numbers, um, you know, women represent somewhere between 21, 25% um, in the space. And when you look at African-American women, you know, we're somewhere around maybe 2%, maybe. Um, so, you know, although I am a bit a big advocate for women as a whole, I'm also more so of an advocate of Black women because, you know, that's, you know, who I am and who I, who I, I what I represent. Yeah, we love that. I mean, I love when there's organizations that help highlight specific groups because I think those can be the most impactful. So we're really glad to have you here. And so we, you kind of touched on this, but our first question is, what led you to pursue founding Black Girls Hack? Um, I was actually trying to, um, we've been actually been around for four years now. Um, Twitter just reminded me. Um, <laughs> so happy um, anniversary to us. And I was actually in the market looking for a job in cybersecurity. I went to school for computer engineering. And um, so I had been in quality assurance, audit, like security world, but not necessarily in cybersecurity. So I was actually trying to transition to a job in penetration testing and I was having a very hard time. I've got, I think at this point, five master's degrees and my, my undergraduate degree is in um, electrical and computer engineering and a whole bunch of certifications and, you know, probably 15 plus years of consulting experience. And I was having a very hard time. I wasn't getting any interviews. I wasn't getting any calls back. Like they weren't even responding. Like it was the craziest ghosting ever. And I said to myself, like, you know, hey, if I'm having a hard time, I realize that there are other people who are probably also having a hard time who don't have my experience, who don't have my education, who don't have right. my certifications. Right. So I was kind of like, you know, hey, let me just as a matter of talking about like, you know, best practices, like what are the lessons that I've learned along the way that can help people to be able to, you know, get jobs in this industry. So I, I we literally started as an uh, IG page and I was just doing, you know, trainings um, on like YouTube, on, that walking through boxes on like Hack the Box and Try Hack Me. Um, and somebody was like, you know, hey, um, you should apply for grants if you were a nonprofit because they can support this type of work that you're doing. And I was like, Oh, okay. And I didn't know who they were. And so, <laughs> but I had been thinking about, you know, turning it into a nonprofit. Um, so I went and I did that. And unfortunately, we didn't get done in time to do the grant that they had um, recommended because like during COVID, the, the backup for, you know, nonprofit approvals was like super long. Oh, wow. Um, yeah, because starting like, a nonprofit is no joke. We looked into that thing. for this podcast and we were like, so much work so like yes maybe maybe another time there was like a learning curve for us to even found like an LLC so I can't imagine 
all the paperwork yeah. and justifications you have to provide for a nonprofit. Yeah, all of the things. So like, you know, that's one of the things that I talk to people about, because like, I, if you look at nonprofits, most of them were started by somebody who's like, hey, this has been my experience. And I want to advocate on behalf of other people like me, right? So like, it's not normally the case that you have, like, for example, men who are saying like, you know what, women really have like a crappy, uh, <laughs> a crappy life in the cybersecurity field, like we need to just start a whole, you know, nonprofit to make their lives better, right? right? It's usually the people who are affected by the issue that end up starting them. So like, I will talk to people about like, you know, hey, you know, in case you want to go off and your world domination plans include creating nonprofit one day, this is how to go about that easier. Because the way that I went about it, I actually, you know, applied um, through a, um, what is it called? Like one of those, uh, you know, like, hey, we'll do this for you as a service. You know, okay. let's call it nonprofit funding as a service. You pay us a certain amount of money. Um, and then I come to find out that the application process for a nonprofit is just like a two page thing. Right. Um, and so you're paying them thousands of dollars to fill out this form. So that's one of the things oh, wow. that when I, I talk to people, because I've created LLCs, I've created nonprofits, like I'm like, you know, hey, um, let's figure out how to do this easier. And easier also means like you don't have to pay $2,000 right. to a company kind to, of a barrier. to make this happen. It is. <laughs> oh, my gosh. That's like really good information to know. It's hard, like also being the first through it. You had to learn the hard way, but it's awesome that you're like, oh, I learned the hard way and I'm not going to make anybody else learn the hard way, which is how I feel like the cyber industry sometimes is, which is kind of <laughs> <Absolutely>. stupid. <laughs> They're like, try harder, work harder. I suffered. So you also have to suffer. Yes. And it's like, no, really, that's to make it easier so, for others, right? Right. Yeah. I'm I'm a little bit older than you guys, and um, so I can tell you that the the culture, you know, over the past 20 years or so before you guys were even like thought of um, <laughs> was that information was power and that you didn't share information with other people right so like if you started a job and it was like oh well I could show you how to do these things or I could be the only person who knows how to do things and then that allows me to you know ensure my my place here and I, I've never operated like that um, you know there are a lot of people you know especially from my generation who believe that you know if you have information then you can use that and you know use it as a, from a position of power. And I believe that information should be shared and it should be communally available, right? Um, my current belief, and I think for a long time, has been like, if I have information, I'm going to show somebody else so that they can basically take my job, but then I, that'll free me up. You know, I call it succession planning, but like they can, it can free me up to, you know, take over the world in other ways, right? Because I've now shown somebody like to how to fill this gap. Um, and then I can, you know, go further. So, but it's it hasn't, most people, especially older folks, that's not the way they operate. They're like, I'm not going to tell you, you know, I'm saying you better read it or you better get it how you live. Um, but it's not going to be because, you know, I've shared the information so that you know what I know. Yeah, I'm glad that there's organizations like yours that are trying to change that because we need that. Because I think that is also one of the hardest things for women. Because if you walk into a room and you're the only woman or you're the only black woman, like no one it's going to talk to you. Like we, we've experienced that where you walk into a room and no one talks to you. And so you're already at a disadvantage because like, I don't know, cause you're a girl, 
I was a pen tester for at least, I think it was nine months before I saw another woman hacker, like a yeah. security consultant. Like they would be like project managers or not that there's anything wrong with those, but I mean like people who are in the ethical hacking field. And I think it was like maybe a year and some change before I saw another black woman. Um, and that was like literally the second woman that I saw. Um, when you look at a lot of cybersecurity fields, especially the more technical ones, um, our numbers are not great. Um, and it's not because we're not able to do the work. It's literally just because, you know, people feel like when they think about what the the vibes that they're looking for, for, you know, what's the culture fit? It doesn't typically involve women. You know, they don't think the women are technical enough or, you know, analytical enough or whatever, you know, reason. So, you know, it'll be like, oh, well, you know, I'll ask harder questions or I'll, you know, I'll otherwise make it harder for them to get into, you know, the field you know, as a deterrent, because I don't think that they're a good fit, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I had a TA in college who, so he was a TA for our class, but I was his research partner on some undergrad research, but he was a grad student and he was grading the papers for my class. And he was like, some of you girls just don't try very hard. And I was like, what? And then, I mean, he probably wasn't supposed to show me the grades, but I was like, okay, look at how many zeros boys have gotten, like, and just let's count, sir. Because like, there's only like four girls in the class anyway. So like, if one girl does poorly, he's like, oh, all girls are dumb. But when like five or six guys do poorly, it's just like, is that an anomaly? Like, I don't understand. And it's, let's look at the test. Maybe there's a problem there. But like, (laughs) it's never like your own bias or like your own, you know, like, are you looking to see whether it's a boy or girl before you grade? Like, I will literally zip through and grade all of my students stuff. And I I don't even care whose name it is. But you know, we, we are also, I think, existing in an online world, whereas a lot of times, you physically had had to hand in a piece of paper, you know, like, yeah, so it's a little different. I think being online makes it better because you can be a little more like anonymous. And it was it was frustrating. I, I felt like there was his own biases coming into it. And it's like, I'm not the representative for all women if I get a good grade or a bad grade on a test. like. And, you know, that's that's a crazy, crazy thing because, you know, people may have had like an experience, for example, with a woman where they're like, oh, there was a woman who got a zero. So like that informs their perception of how future women are going to, you know, perform. And, you know, I think within the cybersecurity industry, like, you know, you have to take things for what they are, you know, and if there is a person who maybe wasn't great at something, that doesn't mean that all of the people who are in the same categories or, you know, the same identifiers are also going to have that same, you know, issues. And I think that, you know, when we're talking about like what BGH is trying to do, we're talking about inclusivity, you know, having an open mind, removing some of these biases so that we can start to see more women, um, you know, both in technical fields, but then also in like the executive suites, Um, because we don't see a lot of women um, in, you know, for example, management executive level roles. And, you know, it's not because we don't have a knack for it or we don't have the ability to, to lead at that level. It just has to do with, again, those same biases, which have kept a lot of the industry's others out of the field. Yeah. And it's like, are you being set up to fail or are you being given all of the things that you need to succeed. If somebody's giving you a fair shot, they also need to give you the tools to be able to take that shot. And they can't just be like, like if somebody said to me, Christine, we want to give women a chance and you're going to be a CEO tomorrow. I would fail spectacularly because I don't, (laughs) I have no training in that. And so 
I love, I love that you are trying to equip people and you're like, I'm going to give you the tools to get into this field and to be successful. And like by offering training and offering things that they normally don't get, I feel like that's so important. And for free. Yeah, that's amazing. Like you're you're giving everybody that shot that they need. Especially when I was in college, the hands-on workshops and hands-on training that I did made a huge impact in my ability to be job ready. That's a thing that, that you can miss if you don't go to a school that offers a lot of extracurriculars or things like that. Absolutely. Because um, I, like I mentioned before, like I've got a million degrees and the reason why I kept going back to school was because, you know, I wasn't getting the hands-on skills that I needed. Mm -hmm. Um, I went and did a degree in digital forensics and I'm like, this is not giving me the hands-on that I need. And I did one in cybersecurity and it's not, you know, and, and this, I didn't go to like, you know, the corner store, you know, university or anything, you know, I went to reputable universities who did not have, you know, hands on, you know, I I never even heard of a Cali box through most of my, my education. Um, And, you know, it was never like, you know, Hey, we were taught anything, you know, about offensive security or defensive security, or, you know what I'm saying? We're taught, you know, risk and CIA and, you know, things of that nature, like theory and and not necessarily practice, not necessarily hands-on skills. And that's one of the things that we are trying to do um, very heavily within BGH is to provide for everybody, um, you know, hands-on training so that they can, you know, supplement what they've already learned as as far as the theory and and maybe their education. Yeah, I think that's a really great point because you mentioned also, you know, as you went back to school, you really weren't as job ready as you would like to be. What advice would you give, particularly for for Black women or women in general, just starting in our field? I know we kind of covered the hands-on workshop trainings, but maybe just kind of give us a good summary of that. Find all of the networks and meet all the people. I am not a big fan of of, of people in general. Um, <laughs> I'm very much so an introvert. So like, you know, I don't necessarily want to ever talk to anybody um, by choice. Um, and I thought that, you know, I could out educate and out certify and out all of the things. And then that's going to be the way that I was able to, you know, allow myself to kind of like rise to the top of the the applicant pool. And I can tell you that that is the exact wrong way to do it, right? Um, Not only is it very expensive and a very much so waste of time, it's not, you know, the best practice or it's not the most efficient way to get into the industry. I think more important than all of those things is having a network of people, having support people, you know, so I would suggest that you join, you know, not just, you know, Black Girls Hack, which is open to everyone. You don't have to be a Black girl. But that you join all of the other organizations, you guys mentioned WESIS, I would also recommend Women Cyber Jitsu, or like there's a lot of other nonprofits that are in the space that are open to, to people, you know, to come out and hack and do all of the things. And once you join those communities, let them know what it is that you're trying to do. I, I tell people to basically work on your brand, even when you feel like you don't need a brand because you're like very new. Um, work on your brand, figure out how you're going to identify yourself. Because when you talk to people, you tell them like, hey, you know, I, I don't know if you guys remember, but like in the early stages of, of like, um, you know, COVID and, and the lockdown, um, people were very much so on uh, Clubhouse. That's what it was. Right. Um, they, were, they were very much so on Clubhouse. And then, you know, I basically had my elevator speech and I would tell people like, hey, I'm the founder of Black Girls Hack. You know, we provide training. This is all the things that we do. This is what I'm interested in. And it got to the point where people um, who were connected to me on social media would be like, hey, Tanisha, did you hear about this thing? I heard about this grant that's available. I heard about this program that's available. You can partner with this organization. These people are looking to, you know, fund something. And it would be like, instead of me just relying on my own, 
own, you know, two or four eyes um, to see what's in front of me. I had like basically the reach of, you know, hundreds, if not thousands of people who were, you know, not just on the lookout for me because they knew what it was that I was trying to do. But I also had people who were helping me. Um, and helping to advocate. Um, And then, you know, we grew, you know, when we started, it was obviously just me. And I'm like, I'm going to make a difference. And I'm going to save the world. And, you know, all of the lofty things that, you know, you start off with. um, And and eventually we grow, we grew. So, you know, we've got, I think it's somewhere close to 100 volunteers now. Um, We've got, you know, thousands of of members. Um, And across all of our social media platforms, we've got, I think it's something like 25,000 people across all of our social media that are following us. So um, it's like this all started from me saying, hey, I want to make it easier for people who look like me to try to get into the field. You know, whether that be women or whether that be black women, I'm like, I want to try to make it easier for them. And it's definitely grown because, you know, as I started doing the classes and the hands-on workshops, people were like, hey, I want to learn the things too. You know, I've been wanting to do this or I wanted to participate in Capture the Flags, but I feel like I don't know enough. Um, and that's because like when you do things, like you go to conferences like DEF CON and Black Hat, you feel like everybody who's there is super elite yep. um, and they deserve to be there and you're not quite there yet. So you'll talk yourself into, well, maybe I'll go next year. Maybe next year I'll know enough where I feel like I'm comfortable enough. And then, you know, the next thing you know, you're, you know, 10, five, 10 years down the line and you haven't gone or you haven't gotten involved because you've always convinced yourself that you, you know, are not turtly enough for the turtle club, you know, like you're not, you don't know enough, yeah. you know, and, and I, I, I advocate for women to get out of their own heads and apply for the jobs and meet the people and do all of the things and tell people what it is that you're trying to do, because then that extends your reach and your ability to do things for as much as I do not like people. Some people will surprise you. <laughs> they will show you that they are absolutely amazing. You know, they will try to help you. Some people will go out of their way to help. You know, even if it's not like a very visible thing. I have people who literally stay in my DMs who will be like, did you see this? Did you see this? Did you know about this? Let me connect you with these people. You know, even the people who are not necessarily doing it for the for the gram, you know, they're still trying to help and to advocate. Um, which I think is very important. It took me in my first cybersecurity job, I had an IDA license and it took me one year to be brave enough to actually like open IDA and try reversing because everybody made it seem like it was this terrible, scary, hard thing. And now like I identify as a reverse engineer and I love reversing. And I'm like, this isn't even that hard. Why does everybody act like reverse engineering so hard? It is not hard. And I think for a lot of people, they're me being too scared to open IDA or opening IDA and not immediately understanding all the bites and thinking, I'm never going to be able to do this. And so I, I love like organizations like Black Hoodie that do women only reverse engineering trainings for free because it's like they they basically like break down that wall and they're like it's not actually that hard. So we know that there's been some challenges Black Girl Tech has faced. One of them being Zoom bombings on some of your technical <sighs> trainings. I was wondering if you wanted to kind of get into that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think like a lot of people um, during uh, the lockdown, mm-hmm. um, we we're doing a lot of our things on zoom and, you know, because I wanted it to be open to everybody, I would literally drop like on our socials. um, Like, Hey, here's the 
code, here's the meeting, you know, and, you know, because again, I wanted people to know that, you know, you don't have to be necessarily a black woman because a lot of people feel like, hey, like I will get so many emails from people like, hey, I'm a white guy. Can I come and participate? And I'm like, why wouldn't you? And, you know, but they, the assumption is because the organization is called Black Girls Hack that you only have to be a black girl. So anyway, like I would post them so that, you know, people who, you know, maybe were too shy to come and join our community, you know, if they wanted to just drop in on the training that they could. Um, and this was before, you know, Zoom started actually monitoring social media. And like now they'll actually send you a message like, hey, your, you know, your password was dropped on um, a social media site. You should change it immediately because, you know, this is a thing. Oh, um, but we so had people they who now, would, but... they do, um, but, you know, what, a year, you know, two years too late. But right. um, <laughs> you live and you learn. Um, but people would literally drop in and it would be, you know, people who come in and it would be like, you know, 10 people who are five people who were like, you know, saying like, you know, bad derogatory terms or like cursing or farting or showing inappropriate videos. Um, and the first time it happened, like I honestly, like I ended up just closing out and like, because I couldn't get rid of the people fast enough. They were coming in, you know, much more quickly than I could moderate. And I was the only moderator at the time. So, you know, I was trying to not, you know, basically, traumatize all the rest of people right, in there so right. I ended up just clo- closing it down and then I was like crying and I'm like all emotional and, yeah I would have um, <laughs> I would have cried too <laughs> and but then then it's happened to other people as well so we stopped putting our um um our passcodes on you know things and then you have to actually be logged into like a meetup or in our actual space in order to to get the the codes but you know it was it was a whole thing and and I don't necessarily think that it was you know necessarily just because you know, we were a black organization. I think it was just, you know, people who were like, you know, hey, I'm going to spew hate on, you know, whatever it is that they're not, you know. Um, and like I said, if it had been just one person, then, you know, it would have been that serious. You block them, you move on with your day. But like, it was like a raid almost. <laughs> yeah. You know, like they, they drop, jump from place to place on like Twitch or, um, you know, YouTube. It was like so many people who just descended upon us. And it was, it was absolutely crazy. People suck. Um, yeah. And honestly, they do. I don't want you to kind of gaslight yourself and think, well, maybe it's not just because it's a black women's organization, because honestly, there might be. I think it is. And like, I mean, women receive a disproportionate amount of hate online. There's been so many things where like a lot of women's groups have had to leave Reddit. But I yeah. think black women's groups are even more disproportionately attacked and affected. I mean, Lizzo can't even have her social media open anymore. Absolutely. It's Did so you, annoying. We had our, our first Girls Hack Village at DEF CON last year, and there was a tiny mic recording that was posted on DEF CON's page, and I was interviewed. And I was so excited and happy, and it was such a good video, and I watched it back, and I'm like, oh, this is great. You know, it sounds great. You know, going crazy. And then I looked at the comments, which you should 100% never, you know, look at the comments. And people were so, like, it wasn't about the fact that, you know, hey, we were bringing a girls hacking village to DEF CON, you know, one of the largest cybersecurity conferences in the world. Um, it wasn't that, you know, we are trying to, you know, increase diversity. We're trying to change what the field of cybersecurity looks like. It was like, 
oh, DEFCON is woke and why are they allowing this or they shouldn't be allowing these villages. And, you know, it was absolutely, and then, you know, horrible. Um, and it wasn't focused on like what it was that we're trying to do. It was just more so like, hey, you know, this is a black group. Why would you allow them? Or why would you, you know, this was a, a girls group or, you know, it used to be that you just, you know, had to be a hacker and you had to be good enough. And now they're just letting anybody in. And it was absolutely freaking like horrible. And, you know, like for me, I I do things to try to like help people. But like I mentioned, I don't necessarily like people. So it didn't necessarily help, you know, yeah. and there's so many days where I, I just want to be like, I'm tired of people. I'm tired of peopling. Um, and I don't want to do this anymore. You know, like there are days where I will literally call like, um, you know, some of my friends who are other nonprofit, you know, executive directors or people who run them. And I'll be like, hey, life sucks today. Um, why don't we do this? Um, <laughs> and then, you know, they'll give you the motivation of like, hey, you're making a difference. And you're or somebody will send me a message like, hey, you helped me get my first job or you helped me, you know, whatever. And then, you know, that'll give me enough fuel to, you know, make it another week until I have another um, meltdown. And I'm like, I don't want to do this anymore, you know, because it's it's hard, you know, trying to deal with being, you know, just my identity in this space as a hacker right um and then you know having to deal with so much hate um you know for people who are like you know hey why are you doing this you know white men hack too you know how people say that on twitter or you know like men hack too or you know and they'll be like (laughs) why are we doing this (laughs) um but you know i mean i think that we see the same types of themes in like the world at large you know outside of the cybersecurity industry so you know it's not like it's something unique to you know what it is that we're trying to do and we don't have like a big enough of a following, you know, like if you look at the Weesuses of the world and, you know, some of the other, you know, groups who've been around for a lot longer, they have a much larger presence. So like they have like literally like mobs of people to like, you know, come to their defense. We don't, you know, we, we have been relatively small, so we don't necessarily have that yet. So literally be like me sitting here trying to fight Twitter, Twitter trolls, um, you know, online and it'll be like, you know what? I'm just going to block these people. Yeah. <laughs> this is dumb at this yeah. point. <laughs> it's exhausting. It's exhausting to receive hate just for existing. <laughs> and, it is. And it sucks. I mean, that, that really ties into like the importance though of having like women-friendly spaces at conferences like this. Yeah. So maybe let's get into Girls Hack Village. So maybe give a little explanation, even though we, we know what for it is, listeners. but give an explanation for the listeners of what it is and how successful it was at DEF CON 30. Absolutely. Um, so there was, when we we went, actually DEF CON 29, um, we actually went and we supported Blacks in Cybersecurity Village, um, which was like the first, you know, Black uh, village at DEF CON. And we were like, oh my gosh. So I went there and I was literally, literally like, we're going to start our own village. I told my team that year, because we we actually were there for um, FuzzCon um, for a charity, like, um, game show battle. And I was like, we're going to do our own village. So the next year, we're like, we applied for the application, and we were accepted. And I was like, yes, yay. Um, so we literally, on what I thought was the shortest of runways, pulled it together and threw off an amazing um, Girls Hack Village. And Girls Hack Village, um, for the folks who don't know, um, was a conference. We had um, mobile penetration testing. We had network penetration testing. We had um, Capture the Flag. And we had um, a red versus blue IoT 
hacking workshops. So it was a, the same type of things that we do for Black Girls Hack, which was the hands-on workshops. But then we also had 30 speakers, 26 of those were women um, who talked about their research, the things that they're doing in the space, and just generally their experience as hackers being industry others. And I was literally like, all right, well, worst case scenario, it'll be the, you know, the 23 people that we brought for scholarships and it'll be the volunteers. So there's going to be 30 people in here and we're just going to have, you know, preaching to the choir type of of thing. But um, what ended up being absolutely crazy is that every literal talk that we did, every workshop that we did, there were so many people in there. There were people who were like piled in, sitting on the floors, on the sides. Standing room only. Standing room only for all of the things. And, And the most amazing thing is if you look at the pictures from last year, it was equal amounts, women and men. And it was, there was so much diversity. Like if our cybersecurity industry looked like Girls Hack Village last year, I don't think we'd have a problem because it was absolutely yeah. amazing. And they were, it was so supportive. Um, and then we, we also threw a 90s party, um, oh. which was absolutely amazing. And it went on until two o'clock in the morning. There were so many people that were there and, you know, the feedback that we got was absolutely amazing. Like there were people who were like, Hey, I felt welcome. Um, we had some high school kids that were there. It was, it was absolutely an amazing experience. Um, which for, you know, a lot of times women, when they go to cybersecurity conferences and not just to pick on DEF CON, but like, I think as a whole during hacker summer camp, it's not always the the safest space to be, you know, like I wouldn't definitely not recommend even today for women to go, for example, by themselves. Um, because like, you know, we, we actually have a, a talk that we did with Dine Initiative where it's like, you know, Hey, how to get prepared for hacker summer camp. We're doing another one. Um, I think in July, Tracy may live, um, Sherpa is doing a, uh, a webinar, yeah, how do you, you know, get ready for Hacker Summer Camp? How do you be safe? Because, you know, if you look at the internet lore, everybody will be like, hey, if you're a woman, just don't go. And then you want to also like, you know, you have to get a burner phone, you have to get like a brand new laptop, or you can't bring your laptop. And there's so much, I think, misinformation, disinformation yes. um, about how to prepare and be ready for it, that, you know, I, I think that it's like, hey, we want you to come, we want it to be a more diverse space, but we also want you to be safe. Um, because it is still, yeah. you know, a space where you have 50,000 largely men who are descending upon, you know, that are by nature in Sin City, <laughs> yeah, <in> Sin City <laughs> right, um, that are descending upon the space. So, you know, being that women are a very small population, you know, that I think naturally makes us a target, yeah. Um, yeah. you know, just existing in the space, not even as hackers, you know, just as women. I'm going to share my first DEF CON, actually. So I got the Black Hat student scholarship thing to go to Black Hat and you could buy your DEF CON ticket. And I was in college, so I was 21. Um, so, you know, Yesterday. really able to drink. And <laughs> my parents were like, hell no. <laughs> like They're like, you are not going by yourself to Las Vegas. And my dad is an engineer and my dad, like he worked for Bell Labs. He's largely like what got me interested in computers because I grew up with those like old, you know, handset phones that people would have. And like, you know, he'd tear them apart on his office floor. Um, he worked with like Ken Thompson and Brian Kernigan and Dennis Ritchie. Like he, he knew all those guys. And so I didn't even know, like I, Apparently, I supposedly met them when I was a child, but I don't remember that. 
but I was always interested in computers. We always had a computer. I had like computer games on CD-ROMs. And so my dad was like, because I was like, I have to go. It's like, I have to go. I, I want to work in cybersecurity. My major was computer engineering, not in cybersecurity. And I, I was like, I want to get a job in cybersecurity. And I feel like this is my only shot because I have no idea. Like nobody could give me any advice because nobody at my university knew anything about how to get a job in cybersecurity. <laughs> so my dad went with me to oh. DEFCON. And that's like a little bit embarrassing. Like I don't oh. like telling people <laughs> Because <laughs> it's, like, it's a little weird, you know? It's like I'm going with my dad and I'm like a college kid. But it was actually, I felt I love that for safe. you, actually. Because, yeah, I was about to yeah. say, you probably were a lot safer. You don't have to worry about somebody, like, put, dropping something in your drink, you know, if your dad is right. standing right next to you. Because he's not going to go it, for well, it. Exactly. Nobody, like, people were not approaching me. Normally, Rebecca and I joke that people always approach me. I think I just, like... I don't know if I make too much eye contact or what it is, but people just always come up to me and like say weird shit to me. And like, it's just, it's annoying. And so nobody approached me or if people did start talking to me and then like my dad kind of came over, they like got a weird look and walked away. (laughs) So it was like, it was kind of funny of being with my dad. And then there was one guy who was talking to me and I knew he was probably okay because uh, my dad and I were looking at the books and this guy was talking to me about a book and then my dad came over and he started talking to my dad. And I was like, all right, this is a normal guy because he doesn't see my dad as like a threat. Absolutely. He's just like another person. Right. And I got invited to a party which was going to have people there who worked at like this university in cybersecurity. And of course I begged my dad. I was like, please let me go. So I was like Cinderella. Cause I had this midnight cutoff where I was allowed <laughs> to go until midnight. And I was like, I'm networking. And so I like, I got my business cards when I was there, like from people. And I sent a bunch of emails the next day and I was like on top of it. And that's how I got my first job from DEF CON. But like, that's the way it should be. My dad was with me. Later, going to DEF CON with other people did not have great experiences like that. So like it and it shouldn't be like I only feel safe because my dad's with me. <laughs> like that's It should not be no. like that. And I shouldn't have to feel like I have to travel in a pack of women, right. but I do. Yeah, when I first went to DEF CON, I like funded it myself and I went by myself, but my friend Gion was with me. And I noticed when I was with him, I was not approached, but when I was by myself, I was approached. So it's, it's just a very interesting dynamic of, of experiences with that, I think. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, it's hard. It's hard because we have to like build these communities for ourselves because it, I don't know. I just, I also honestly don't like Vegas that yeah. much. Like I just kind of feel like it's hot. Everyone's drunk and someone's going to hit on me. <laughs> And I have to pretend my boyfriend's coming right outside yeah. or something. <laughs> like, I get it. That's actually something that we wanted to talk about because having these women-only spaces mean that I don't have to bring my dad with me to DEF CON. Like I, I can walk into a room and I, I remember walking into Girls Hack Village and kind of like exhaling and I didn't even realize it until I got there. And it was like, it's just so nice to not be the only woman like all the time. And I think what men don't understand because they don't have that experience usually in our industry is they don't know what it's like to be the only black person in the room or the only woman in the room. And so like when they walked into Girls Hack Village, 
and they had that feeling for a second where they're like, am I allowed to be in here? Like, I'm the only person that looks like me. It's like, yeah, that's how every day a lot of other people oh feel all fucking time. <laughs> like, you know, like, it's like, welcome to our experience. And I feel like it's important for them to feel that sometimes because it's the only way for them to understand why we need to have space. those spaces. And, and I agree completely. And I, I think that, um, you know, for us, um, when we did not get accepted um, this year at DEF CON 31, I tried to have a conversation with the DEF CON leadership and say, hey, do you guys understand the impact of this decision, right? On its face, maybe you're like, hey, we're just not accepting a group, right? But as the only, you know, Diana Initiative has their own conference at this point, we were the only girls focus or girl centric space in in the village and it's not like you know we had you know three people who came and it was standing room only the entire time right it was so crowded and I was expecting them to be like wow what a success let's give them double the space and 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 that's how honestly like in my naivete I I literally thought it was a foregone conclusion for us to come back because I was like in my mind, I was like, as long as I was respectful of the goons, I follow all of the rules and the code of conduct, you know, we should be able to come back because our village, our party, all the things were super popular, you know? Do villages pay money to be there? Like, do you have to pay? You you don't have to pay to be a village. Okay. So they provide you with the, the venue. Um, if you want to, for example, go to like a vendor space to sell swag, you have to pay in order to do that. So you have to pay for this physical space, you know, that you are occupying. Like, for example, over in, I think it was Caesar's Forum last year, you had to like pay to basically be there to be able to sell your things. Um, but gotcha. for the actual village spaces you're, themselves, you, you don't have to. Gotcha. So you, I feel like Girls Hack Village brought them some some income as because there was some vendor stuff, but then you brought them, at least to me, like the value add for like villages and talks is you're basically giving free content and free entertainment for all the people buying tickets to DEF CON as a whole. Yeah, and, and the other, um, you know, financial piece to that is that we brought – 20 or 30 or so volunteers it was 71 people all together that we brought to wow. defcon last year we spent wow. i think somewhere north of thirty thousand dollars on defcon tickets alone um mm-hmm. yeah. you know not to mention the fact that we supported you know we paid for the the vendor space and you know so and we had a whole bunch of people who were in the hotel block as well you know so which also like i was a treasurer for a conference and Filling those hotel block rooms helps them to get it a lower a cost. Lot. Yes, it absolutely does. So you know, I can tell you, having planned for SquadCon this year, that um, that's a consideration, right? It was when we were looking for estimates on how much it's going to be. You know, one we had the cost of the the venue, but then you also are expected to have like a hotel block that has a certain number of people, and then a minimum like food spend, and you know, there's so many things that go into it, and then you're also in the middle of freaking Las Vegas. You know, in, during the week that has some of the biggest cybersecurity conferences. So it's like location, location, location. Right. So, you know, we we had, um, I think, a net positive impact on, I think, DEF CON as a whole. If we were looking at it financially and then just from the perspective of we brought so many people. You know, we had at least 71 people who came that were just associated with our village between our scholarship winners and our volunteers. So, you know, we 
felt like, you know, at the end, like, you know, hey, as long as we follow the code of conduct at the end of the day, we should be good. We should be invited back next year. No, we were not invited. If you could speculate, if you care to, what did they say and, and why do you think they didn't allow you back? So what they said was that they basically changed the criteria of what was considered a village. They said that, you know, hey, you did IoT, we have an IoT village. You did mobile testing, we've got like, you know, a village for that. You know, you did red team stuff, that we have a village for that. So they basically said that there's nothing that our village brought to the DEF CON body of knowledge and training that people could not have gotten for, uh, anywhere else. You know, not considering the fact that we were a safe space for women and, you know, also men um, or people who are relatively new to the thing. Because, you know, like I said, there's a certain amount of prestige that comes with, you know, like this is DEF CON, yes. you know. So, like, if you are not like an elite hacker, you shouldn't necessarily even step off of the plane, you know. So they discounted that. And they, all they said was, you know, hey, you know, we have other villages that are doing the same types of trainings that you are you know they don't see the value in having women speakers you know for example that was the other thing that we said um and i you know like i mentioned i i tried to speak to their leadership and i tried to say you know hey do you understand the the larger implication of this right um and they were like well hey you know we didn't single you out because we also didn't invite um queer con back for as a village or eff i think it was and uh vet con you know, and to me, it was like, you know, how do you double down? Like, hey, we didn't bring, you know, back the LGBTQT folks right. because they're also not a village. They're a community. Um, they said that, that they didn't see us as being confined by four, four walls, more of a like affinity group type of thing. Um, you know, we didn't invite back the LGBTQTIA. We did not invite back the vets. We did not invite back mental health because all of those things, you know, you can be someone who has mental health issues in you know red team village or blue team village you know we already have all of the hacking things so we don't need any additional you know what i'm saying like we don't need what it is that you're bringing and you know they at some point were like well hey but you can still come and sell things into um in our space in our uh vendor space um so you can still pay us the fee right, that you pay money for <laughs> no so so hmm. after some some conversations they eventually agreed to give us um uh, a bigger table and that we would not have to pay. But initially nice. their thing was like, how you can still come and be in the vendor space. But we had started planning for a three-day mini, mini conference the month after DEF CON ended. Um, because like I, I mentioned, by the time we got, got accepted last year, our runway was super short. Um, so like we literally put together what was a wildly successful conference in a matter of like a month or so. Um, and I was like, we're not going to do that next year. Next year we're starting literally, you could take a month off, relax <laughs> the month of September, and then we're right back at it. And, and we will have literally been meeting, you know, nonstop since, um, you know, October, um, to plan for what we thought was, you know, Girls Hack Village at DEF CON 31. But um, because we didn't get accepted, it is now Girl Sock Village at SquadCon, which is going to be our own conference. And like I, I mentioned, you know, the, we have now the venue costs and the food costs and all yeah. of the costs that, you know, would typically have been handled by DEF CON, um, you know, for yeah. their, their, their villages, you know. Um, so we have to basically cover all of those things. To me, so I only knew about 
Girls Hack Village not being able to come back and now finding out that like QueerCon and Mental Health Village and all these other villages can't come back, that just makes it worse. Like that's not better. That's like, oh, I thought DEFCON was moving towards something better because DEFCON originally used to be not welcoming at all. They used to like I think they would play porn or something during DEFCON CTF. Like it used to be, and there's the booth babes at Black Hat. It, it was not welcoming and it was toxic for women. Like women would not want to go to DEFCON 20 years ago, I don't think. And having all of these villages to me is like, oh, we're changing the space. Things are changing. And to take away Girls Hack Village to me says we don't care if there's any women in the room or not. Well, you know, and and honestly, and this this was, I don't know if this went into their their uh, thought process, but so it might be speculation. They're like, hey, you know, we still have, you know, for example, um, hackers with disabilities. You know, we have blacks and cyber. You know, we've done our diversity check marks for the year. You know, they can't accuse us of being, you know, whatever. Um, because you know we've cherry picked oh some. I have black friends. <laughs> That's <laughs> what they're saying. That, that is the vibe um, <laughs> that that I got. Um, and you know, for me, you know, I had so many of the other you know villages who also did not get accepted. There were other ones as well um, that did not get accepted. This who were fed the same line about you know we don't consider you a village anymore. Um, and then they put out um, a new thing that I think was called like communities, which was, you know, basically like a glorified like vendor space. Um, and, but, you know, my, my issue is that, you know, when someone shows you who they are, I think that you should believe them, you know, yes. and for as much as we've seen, you know, attempts to be more inclusive, you know, there used to be a running joke that, you know, there was never a line in the girls' bathroom. Um, last year, you know, at least where we were at, there was definitely some lines in the girls' bathroom. There was uh, quite a few people in there. Um, and, you know, for them to do that, um, I know that there are some sponsors that, you know, pulled out of other things that were related to DEF CON specifically because of the fact that, you know, they're not trying to be inclusive. And, you know, frankly, it seemed like, you know, because I, like I said, I tried to reach out, tried to have conversations. I'm like, hey, I'm going to give you a chance to make this better. You know, they kind of like doubled and tripled down. And it was like, we don't want to make it better. We, we are fine with the decision that we made. Um, you know, and I, I don't think that they've to date said anything about the fact because at, at the end of the day, you know, when you're a monolith, you know, do you necessarily care about what a group that maybe represents 20 or so percent of the hacker community, you know, even though it's fifty percent of the world, do you care what it is, how they feel? You know, like in the in the grand scheme right. of things, we are small guys. You know, we don't necessarily matter. You know, um, and I think that yeah. you know one of the things I know I appreciate is that when we stepped out on faith and we said, hey, we're going to have our own conference. We're going to, you know, we don't need a seat at your table. We're going to make our own. You know. Our sponsors came and, you know, they supported us. You know, they came out and um, and we ended up with a super short run that way um, again. <laughs> so, you know, next year I'll be saying the same thing. Like, we will not be doing this next year. We're going to start planning early. Um, but, you know, we have been able to, you know, at least be able to cover the cost of, you know, us having the event. Um, we may not be able to bring as many people as we brought last year and do the things that we did last year. But, um Squad Con is happening, so I'm super excited. 
tickets are on sale now. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. So let us know what are the dates and the location of Yeah. And what is SquadCon? Um, yes. Uh, so SquadCon, um, we actually had the opportunity to, to say, you know, hey, this could just be Girls Hack Con or Girls Hack Village Con or something like that. And we chose um, SquadCon in, instead because um, the members of our organization, um, since it started, have been called our squad. Um, and even though we're a girls organization, I, I get a lot of times people who are saying, you know, hey, I'm a white guy, can I come? Um, so we called a squad con because we wanted it to be reflective of the inclusive community that we're trying to, you know, basically build. Um, and we wanted everybody to know that they can come like the founding principles, the values behind it is still absolutely the same. We're showing people that you can do the con experience differently, you know, that you don't have to continue doing the same things that you've already done. You know, we can do things different. We can have more women, we can have more diversity, you know, we can be the change that we want to see. So we've still got, you know, a bunch of amazing women speakers. We sent out our, our first uh, speaker acceptances today. Um, so um, I think so far, I think 60% of the, the folks who got messages were were women. So it's still like trying to promote, um, you know, inclusivity. Um, a lot of times women don't even get an opportunity um, at larger conferences. Right. Um, and then it's three days. So it's August 10th through the 12th. Um, it's at the industrial event space, um, which is off the strip, but we will have a shuttle that is going from the strip to um, our uh industrial event space um, where the conference is. And then it'll also go to our hotel, um, which is going to be the Strat. Um, and they've newly renovated. We went and we visited it two weekends ago and it was absolutely amazing. Um, comfortable space and it was nowhere near as sketchy as I imagined. Um, <laughs> no shade to them. Yay. But you know, because Yay. it's off strip, I was like, oh, well. Um, so we were able to get some absolutely amazing quotes or what are they called? Um, uh, costs. Like, so it's not very expensive because one of the things that we're very big on is reducing the financial barriers to entry. So yeah. we've got some amazing speakers um, that are coming up. We've got some amazing speakers who've already confirmed. So our keynote speaker have all confirmed so that's amazing so we'll start an announcing those over the coming weeks so what i'm super exciting uh I'm super exciting i am exciting but i'm super <laughs> excited um i think uh, as of yesterday we had like 45 days um countdown to to squad con so i'm i'm looking forward to it um but it'll be more much of the same as we had at girls Tag village it'll be celebrating diversity we'll be talking about the experience of um, you know, other people in the space. Um, and then it'll also be, you know, hands-on ethical hacking, training, things of that nature. Um, you know, and so I'm, I'm super excited. Um, I cannot wait. And in the back of my mind, I'm still sitting over here like, nobody's going to come. It'll be, you know, our volunteers and, you know, so we'll, we'll see. I hope, I hope that it, it, you know, the, the universe surprises me um, much like they did last year. And then it's standing room only and we have to start telling people that they can't, can't come in. I think as of yesterday, we were at like 45% of the ticket sales. Um, oh, wow. Yeah, so That's awesome. Yeah. So fingers crossed, um, it'll be a successful event and then it'll be much easier for us to, you know, uh, get the sponsors last year. Like I have literally been telling you, um, like my friends and the other people in my organization that my proverbial thigh has been out for the past two months, like, you know, hey, we're trying to do things different, like support us. Um, because, you know, as 
um, you know, a minority organization, but then also like a new conference, it's like, well, why should we support you? There's like literally 19 other conferences that are right. probably here at the same time. You know, what are you doing differently? You know, what, what, what value are you bringing that, you know, all of these other things do? So we're, you know, presenting the value proposition, but then we're also saying, hey, you know, women need the space too you know, um, mm-hmm. and we're supporting, we're working with Diane Initiative. So we are supporting, um, we're trying to support uh, 20 scholarships to Hacker Summer Camp to pay for people to be able to afford to go because it's very expensive. We've already funded 10 of those. So those scholarship winners have been awarded. So we're, my hope is that we'll still be able to raise enough money to be able to get another 10 people so that we can, you know, at least come close to what we did last year, which was 23 scholarship winners. So that they can have that experience because, you know, it shouldn't have to be that you have to be rich or wealthy or, you know, whatever, or your job paying for it in order for you to be able to come. Because if you are new to cyber or you haven't got a job yet, you know, you're not actually in cyber, you know, your job's not going to be like, hey, I'm going to pay for you to go to a whole conference, you know. So we want those folks who are underrepresented to be able to come. Right. Yeah. And even DEF CON, they raised their prices a ridiculous amount this year. It was 360 for a ticket last year, and now it's 460 yeah. So considering how much less quality content is right? going to be there, because Girls Hack Village won't be there, I'll be interested to see what they're offering for this extra hundred dollars. Yeah, but you know what? Like the the cost of of everything, I think, has been getting much more expensive. Um, I don't see how you can kind of like justify a jump of a hundred dollars. You know, that's like more than a three percent cost of living, or you know, whatever the case may be. Um, right. But you know, I imagine that the hotels are saying like, you know, hey, we need more money because more people are coming outside, and you know, like I I don't want to justify it because you know i'm upset with them today um but you never know (laughs) i just left (laughs) yeah and and uh her hacks podcast is committed to fair reporting practices and we did reach out to defcon for comment and they did not reply to our messages very on brand it is very hard to to stay, you know, I think uncommitted or, you know, unemotional when you see something that you feel like should be different and you wonder like why other people don't see it that way as well, you know? Yeah. I, I think I took it as a, a personal offense that they didn't have Girls Hack Village because I I've I I've gone to DEF CON like four or five times and it was the first place I've gone where I felt truly welcome and like I belonged and like I've played DEFCON CTF and I actually I've done the social engineering CTF and so like and I help run a contest at DEFCON and I still don't really feel like I belong Mm -hmm. until I got into that room and I just I felt and I didn't even know I was feeling that way until I got into the room and I kind of like exhaled and I was like oh I didn't realize I was holding my breath this whole time. Yeah, a lot of people felt that way. And, um, you know, it was it was good to be able to, to bring that because, you know, the mental hurdles that you have to kind of like jump over just to get to the point where you feel safe enough to kind of step out of your comfort zone and go talk to other people like, hey, I'm interested in reverse engineering. And then, you know, you might in the back of your mind be like, well, what if they ask me this specific question or this detailed thing that I don't know the answer to. And I mean, I think that's one of the things that I love about our community is that, you know, no one expects everybody to have all of the answers, right? We're all learning. We're all trying to be a supportive environment so that, you know, you can have somebody to talk to along the way. And, you know, 
I don't have all the answers. No one does. And, and, you know, a lot of people are like, oh, well, it's me out of the question. So I'm like, no, I'm still very much a toddler hacker, too. I used to say I was a baby hatler, but I'm going to accept toddler at this point. Um, but, you know, <laughs> as a toddler hacker, you know, I don't know yeah. all of the things. So, you know, we've got people who are much more mature, you know, full grown adult hackers. So, you know, we can ask those fo- folks and we've got a supportive community where it's like you don't have to worry about like being judged and, you know, where everybody is welcome. The only people who are not welcome in our community is jerks. That is literally the only, mm-hmm. you know, asterisk for, you know, our inclusivity pos- po- uh, policy. Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah, I definitely, like, I'm so happy that you are, you're not going down without a fight. SquadCon is keeping Girls Hack Village because we, we need spaces like that. And like, like, what is a, a affinity group, if not a people that like to get together and do something similar? Absolutely. Like, girls who like to hack or, you know, so I, I definitely don't buy their way of trying to explain it away like rf village or the the ham radio village like that's just a bunch of uh, that's an affinity for ham radio like cyber policy and affinity for cyber policy so like i really like talking about women in cybersecurity and i have a podcast about it so why can't we have a village at defcon doesn't make sense to me that they took them all away and it doesn't make them look better that they're doing it to everybody like that's just it doesn't but you know I mean until I think their community as a whole you know stands against it you know until they have people even within the the majority of men that come who say that this is not okay there's no reason for them to change you know they can make a hundred dollar price increase they can you know basically do whatever they want because you know who's going to tell them that they can't people are still going to come um, you know, the joke is always DEFCON is canceled, right? But until we proverbially cancel yep. them, until we actually cancel them, you know, they're not going to change, you know? And I, I think that it's general consensus that they do. You know, it's not just, you know, well, hey, we're making everybody happy except for the black women or, you know, except for the women. You know, it's a lot of people feel like things need to change. Con differently. Con differently. Absolutely. Yeah. Go to squad con. <laughs> Yes, tickets on sale now. Uh, Squadcon.me. Well, we know that we never can see the future, but we would love to know where do you see Black Girls Hack heading over the next few years? I 100% would love to, I think from an administrative perspective, like to get our volunteers paid. Um, We are a volunteer organization, and for the most part, we are not getting paid. I got some money last year. Um, I think it was 6500 for the course of the year, but I literally work 40 hours a week, if not more, doing BGH things, and, and so do most of my organizations. So I would absolutely love to be for people to start supporting our mission as a whole so that we can you know, have a paid staff. If you look at most of the larger nonprofits um, that are out here, they have paid staff. You know, their staff are actually yeah. getting paid to do the 40 to 60 hours a week that, that we're doing. So that's one thing I would love to, to see happen. So we're applying for grants to try to make that happen. I, I would like for people to get over the fact that our organization is called Black Girls Hack and for us to, you know, grow to a much larger inclusive community that's representative of what we want the cybersecurity industry to look like. And I would love for us to continue to ex- Um, continue expanding our training programs so that we can, you know, continue getting people trained up. And and lastly, 
jobs. I want to be able to have a pipeline for employment to get people. So, you know, once we get these people entrained, you know, we can work with the employers to say, hey, now that we've got them trained, they've got the certifications, they've got the experience, let's get them a job. Um, yeah. So that's, I mean, that's, you know, for me, what I, I am hopeful for in the next year um, as we come up on our, our fifth year of existence. That's awesome. Um, that makes me so excited. I, I'm so excited for the future of Black Girls Hack and SquadCon. Yep. And so we're August 10th through the 12th. SquadCon.me is our website. It is open to all. Um, we are going to have amazing hands-on workshops. And as we start releasing information about our speakers and our sponsors, which should be coming on in T-minus 44 days, I'm excited to see, you know, how it turns out and for the world to see so that they can, you know, see that this is something that's valuable and, and worth supporting. Awesome. Well, thanks for staying with us, Tanisha. Yeah, this was such a good conversation. Yeah, thank you so much for taking the time out, even though you hate people, to talk to us. <laughs> I like you guys. I appreciate We are it. honored. <laughs> I appreciate you for having me. Thank you so much for listening to Her Hacks Podcast. Check us out on Instagram, Twitter, Mastodon, YouTube, and TikTok. Please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts so you don't miss a future episode drop. And please leave us a star, one for each of our lovely hosts, that's five, and an encouraging review. <laughs> yes. Wait, do you have five hosts? We started with five. I was like, you just told them to give you two stars. I'm like... <laughs> And now a word from our sponsors. Your HerHacks co-hosts have been going to a lot of conferences lately. With Recon, SummerCon, DefCon, and SquadCon all on the schedule for this summer, it's been so important to make sure we are staying healthy and hydrated. That's why your co-hosts have been turning to the Liquid IV Hydration Multiplier. Liquid IV hydrates two times faster than water alone with five essential vitamins and three times the electrolytes of traditional sports drinks. I was finding that I was getting really run down after conferences and I was exhausted after long flights. I'm so glad I added Liquid IV to my travel routine because I use it to boost my immune system and help avoid getting sick when I'm doing tons and tons of travel. I love that it has individual serving size packets, so it's super easy to throw in my suitcase or take with me during the day in my backpack. To try and beat this Las Vegas heat, Rebecca and I have been loving the tropical punch and lemon flavors. If you get bored really easily, you can try all 12 delicious, refreshing flavors to keep your hydration routine exciting. Liquid IV is vegan-friendly, non-GMO, and free from gluten, dairy, and soy. Get 20% off your order when you go to liquidiv.com and use code HERHACKS at checkout. That's right, 20% off anything you order when you shop Better Hydration today using promo code HERHACKS at liquidiv.com.